Well, thank you, Agnes, and thank you to the great musicians for leading us in worship to Christ. Well, my name's Thomas, and I'm one of your pastors here at Parkview. Uh, I work mostly in the realm of our community groups and with our classes and training and stuff like that. Uh, today, today, I get to open the Bible with you and teach you from God's Word. So if you want to open your Bible um, or your phone or however you like to do that, um, we'll be in Deuteronomy 5, especially verse 19. We've been going through the Ten Commandments, and today's commandment, I'm confident that all of you can memorize, you shall not steal. I think, have you got it? Okay, I'll quiz you later. Well, uh, this week, uh, just reflecting on this passage and on uh, what it looks like for us to be generous, I was thinking about my first job, and especially as fall rolls around and we get to, in a football season, we live sort of close to Kinnick Stadium, and, and I've been, we were on a bike ride over there, and I thought about my first job, and uh, I was one of those people that walks up and down the stands in Kinnick Stadium with a big plastic tub strapped onto my back full of drinks, uh, selling 20-ounce sodas for about $15 each, and, and uh, so do not steal, don't say, no, um, it was theft, but anyway, um, I remember, you know, when, this, when the season got, you know, it was later in the season, the, the, the weather changed and it started to get cold outside, no one wanted to buy, you know, an ice cold Coke, uh, and so we started selling hot chocolate, so I'd carry these hot chocolates around and burn my hands and all that. But I remember walking out on the concourse one time and it snowed and, and uh, there was a guy, sold him a few hot chocolates and he said, hey, do you take tips? And I was so excited. Yes, I do take tips. Thank you so much. I love, I love that. That's how I made a lot of my money doing this job. I was making tips and he said, I've got a tip for you. Don't eat yellow snow. Rats. Yeah, that was about my reaction too. I was expecting generosity, but instead... I got that. I think most of us want to be known as generous people, and we want to be generous. Uh, we certainly want to receive generosity from others, um, both in, just in terms of blessing, just like that gentleman had the opportunity to do, uh, but also just in terms of the way that we treat one another. We want to have hearts that are generous. But we don't often talk about how we become generous. Uh, often, I think, actually, generosity is a place where we're prone to moralism. We just sort of say, be generous. Do it. Do it, <laughs> thinking maybe if we say it loud enough or long enough, uh, that eventually will come around. But the Bible actually tells us about not only that we should be generous, but how we become people of generosity, and it flows directly from the Eighth Commandment. It's one of the biggest plot lines through Scripture, we'll see later. So today's passage is simple. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. This is the Eighth Commandment in the Ten Commandments. It's sort of in this back half of the Ten Commandments that has uh, everything to do with how we treat our neighbor in light of who God is. And it points us not only to the reality that we need to not take what is not ours, but it points us to a greater vision that, that Aidan actually referred to uh, about the kind of community that God desires his people to be and the kind of hearts that we will need to get there. So in this commandment, I want to consider from this passage of God's word, first the principle of this commandment. What's it talking about? The principle, the problem that this commandment reveals. It reveals a deep problem in our own hearts. And thirdly, the power that we will need, not only to obey this commandment, but to fulfill the great vision that God is calling us to. The principle, the problem, the power. If you're a note taker, that's it. Okay, but first, let's pray. We need the Lord to help us here.
Heavenly Father, please help us listen to you. Open the Bible to us so we can, we can learn who you are and what we must do in light of who you are and what you have done. Clear our minds from distractions. Help us to submit ourselves to your word, believing that it is good for us and our world, that it reveals to us the path of life. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are soft and ready to be formed by you, and hands ready to do all that you command us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can understand all that you're saying to us today. And help me, Father, to say only what you are saying to your people today. Help me to get out of the way and fill me with energy to do the task you've called me to. Pray this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. So the principle, the problem, and the power. The principle of the, of the Eighth Commandment is, seems very simple. Rob Shank says this, he's an author, he said, stealing, this word, it covers all conventional types of theft, burglary, larceny, robbery, hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, and so forth. I wonder if that list maybe gives a few of us a little bit of comfort. Okay, no hijacking, good. Uh, I'm good on that one. And it almost seems like, well, unless I knocked over 7-Eleven last week, I'm, I've pretty much fulfilled the Eighth Commandment. Um, but there's more. You know, Socrates, 2,500 years ago, Greek philosopher, he said that we rarely do things consciously that we know are wrong or immoral. What we do is we find reasons to legitimize the things that we kind of know we ought not to be doing. Uh, we rationalize, and that's, he learned that, uh, what the Bible affirmed way before that. We rationalize. We justify. We, we have reasons. We've got very good reasons. <laughs> and so we say things like this to ourselves. Well, it's a big company. They make millions of dollars every year, you know? They basically expect people to do this. Everyone's doing it, right? And I mean, if they really cared, they would check and make sure people don't. We say, I needed it more than she did anyway. She should have given it to me. I need it more, right? And, and so this commandment should make us be a little bit more skeptical of our own hearts. Um, and often we need help from others to, to do this. I don't know about you, you know, thinking about when you have a fever and you put your hand up to your head, you know what you say? I feel fine. Because <laughs> your hand is the same temperature as your <laughs> darn head. You need someone else, uh, you know, I'm thinking of our kids. You, you need your mom to come up. You need your dad to come up and go, oh my goodness, you're burning up. We need to ask ourselves questions like this. Um, students. Uh, do you take grades that don't belong to you by cheating on exams? Borrowing answers to online homework, it's, it's so easy these days, you know, as more and more school goes online. Plagiarizing, buying essays, passing off work as your own. Do you take entertainment that doesn't belong to you or software that doesn't belong to you by getting it from the internet instead of from the people who made it? Employees. Do you take money that doesn't belong to you by playing games on your phone or watching videos instead of doing what your boss expects you to be doing? Are you using the company credit card for things that you know you really shouldn't be, but you're working so hard and everyone else does it? Are you charging hours for a job that you didn't really work but you made a bid for? These are the ways that we might negatively 
address the Eighth Commandment. It tells us not to steal, and so we must be a people who refuse to steal in all the different ways that theft might look, not only in our heart, but with our hands. It makes me think of one of my favorite uh, TV shows, How It's Made. Anyone see this? Okay, well, this, it's off and off on the Discovery Channel. Anyway, um, it sounds like you guys haven't seen it. It's a great show. You should check it out, okay? You know what they do? They show you how it's made. It's a very descriptive title. Um, in one of my favorite episodes, uh, they show how coins are made. And so they go into this treasury building, this factory, basically, and they show how they come in with these, you know, these metal blanks. Uh, it's just a, looks like a silver disc or whatever. It goes in this big machine. It goes to this big, you know, 20-ton press or whatever, and it pushes down on this thing. Boom! Out, out it pops, and 100 times a minute, you know, um, it, it makes a coin. And you look at it, you know, USA, whatever, and it's got an eagle and all that kind of stuff. But if you were to take... And they actually showed what this looks like. If you were to take the, the little dies the, the pre that are in the press, that press down on that blank, what would you notice about them? Well, they're backward. Uh, you look at them, and it doesn't say America. It says, uh, whatever, you know, whatever America is backwards. And the eagle's facing the wrong way, and the arrows are on the wrong side. And it's the opposite. Well, it's the same way when we think about these Ten Commandments, and in particular, the negative commandments. Um, do not steal is a commandment we need to obey. But it also points to a greater reality. It, it leaves a positive imprint, just like that die does. It shows us a picture of the good life that God envisions for us when we obey this command. What would it look like for us not just to obey the Eighth Commandment by refusing to steal, but by following the greater vision that God gives to us through the Eighth Commandment? It's pretty simple. If stealing is taking from others what doesn't belong to us, then the opposite of that and what God hopes for us and, and has called us to is blessing others. Rather than taking what doesn't belong, we would give to others. We would bless others. If we took this command to heart, what would it do? What would it look like? Well, it would be a much more affordable world. Uh, People who study these things uh, say that shoplifting costs you and me, each of us, about $450 a year uh, through the increased price of retail goods. Um, the IRS estimated that tax fraud tops $1 trillion two years ago, the last time that they estimated this. So for each adult in that room, that's about $4,500 in expenses that have been passed down uh, to all of us. Added up, there's about $5,000 that's not in your bank account um, because of the Eighth Commandment. Um, but Imagine a world without locks. Imagine a, not a lock on your bike, not a lock on your front door. Unnecessary, superfluous they'd be. You wouldn't be waking up at 2 in the morning thinking, did I lock the door? What was that sound? No need for banks. No need for the armored trucks. No need for security cameras to make sure People are not getting where they aren't to touch things that are not ours. No need for all those security tags on merchandise. It's a good world. We get another glimpse of this in Ephesians 4.28, um, which Agnes read for us there. It says what it would look like for us not just to do the negative, to, to obey the negative command, do not do, but also to do the positive. What would it look like for us to be totally reformed all the way toward the positive vision that God has called us to. And it says, uh, just like she read, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands 
so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What would it look like to be reformed, like I said, to indeed to fulfill what the Eighth Commandment calls us to and points us toward? It would be to bless. Rather than taking from the good of another's work, we would, with our own work, give to the good of others. Stealing is fundamentally opposed to God's character. John 17, 24 says this, Father, and this is Jesus praying for his followers, us, too. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am in the heavens, to see my glory that you have given me, and listen to this, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is praying that we would be with him because the Father has loved Jesus before the creation of the world. We serve a God and we are made in the image of God who has existed from the beginning and from that beginning has been pouring out love and blessing and kindness since before time began. God is not a taker. God is a giver. And it didn't begin when he created you and me or Adam and Eve. It began in the very heart of his existence since time wasn't even measured. By the way, that's why it's important for us to understand that God is not just one, but also three. Um, God didn't feel lonely in the cosmos and decide, you know what, I'd like someone to love. And then he began loving at that point. Uh, rather, God has always been, you know, there's a reason First John can say God is love. You can't love by yourself. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> um, you need someone else. And so God is not just three, he's three in one. He didn't create people because he was lonely and needed something or needed to receive love. God has always been giving and receiving love within himself in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit since time began. And therefore, stealing is antithetical to his very character. When we steal, we deny the self-giving character of God. And so to steal is to go against the grain of how God has created you, against the grain of your soul. It's, it's, it's like using a lawnmower to trim your hedges. It's just not going to go well for you. <laughs> and it will end in no less disaster. So, what is the principle? Well, since we belong to this self-giving God, stealing is forbidden. That's the principle. Secondly, we see the problem. We see the problem. The problem that this eighth commandment reveals in us. Not a problem with the command, but with us. Um, and it probably, maybe it seems obvious. I know a poll was taken of the Ten Commandments, and it wasn't just sort of religious people who were asked this, but just sort of the general population. They asked, they give them a list of the Ten Commandments, and they said, which of these do you think are still important today? Which of these do you hope, you know, apply and are, are obeyed today? And you can probably, what do you think number one was? Murder. Good. Okay, great. You're listening. Number two, though, was the Eighth Commandment. Do not steal. And maybe you're here and you have been stolen from. Probably many of you have in some, some way. Uh, it doesn't feel good. Um, it makes you feel vulnerable. It makes you feel frustrated and upset. Um, it's no good. Um, and so we know that we don't like when people do it to us. And we also know that we like when people are generous to us. And so we, we shouldn't steal from others. And yet, we, we have to notice that like the other negative commands in the Bible, throughout the Bible, not just in the Ten Commands, but throughout the Bible, we have to begin by recognizing that if God had to command it, 
if he was going to use a whole commandment, so to speak, not that he was limited to 10, but if he was going to use a whole commandment just to tell us not to steal, um, it's because there's a problem that needed to be addressed. The parents in the room and anyone who, you know, spends much time with children will realize that you end up giving certain rules and commandments in your household that you thought you should never have to give, uh, that no human should ever have to say, maybe even. You have to say things like I did this week. You have to say, don't touch the toilet water. <laughs> don't try to wash your clothes in the toilet, okay? I appreciate the effort, but no, <laughs> you have to say it's a command of this household. No, no toilet washing of hand, you know? Um, but the point is, you ha- I had to say that. Why? It was to address a problem that, w- that we were dealing with. <laughs> and so also with this commandment, uh, it's there because there is a tendency within us to take on the one hand, in the negative hand, to take what isn't ours, and on the other hand, to withhold blessing that God has called us to bless others with. And the fact is, before we steal with our hands, we steal with our hearts, in our hearts. And to understand this problem, we really have to start at the very beginning. See, in the beginning, God created everyone and everything. With the mere word of his power, he spoke and called all of creation into existence. And the pinnacle of his creation was his images, his representatives. That's what that means. Adam and Eve. Think of it like we send representatives to the Olympics right now, right? We're we're sending them forth to represent us, to show us the the best of what we have, and, and to make, you know, our nation look good, and that kind of thing. So also, in a similar way, God gave Adam and Eve the task to show the world who God is. What is God like? Um, And he put them in a rough but good world to make it into something good for all people through their labor. And his promise was to make sure that they had all that they need. You notice throughout the story in Genesis 1 through 3, God gives them everything. Every beast in the forest, every flower, every plant, everything is for you. Make this world a great place. Show the world who I am. Have children and teach them who I am. Make this a place that's great for all people and honor me by doing so. And there's just one thing. There was one fruit, one thing in all of creation that didn't belong to them. The fruit of one tree. In all the world, and as you, I'm sure, know, uh, they failed, and they stole what did not belong to them. And how did, how did the adversary, how did Satan get them to disobey God? Satan told Eve, and I'm paraphrasing here, God is holding out on you. He's holding back his best. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. It, it would have been hard for, for the serpent to convince Eve and Adam, that God didn't have the resources to care for them. I mean, he had just called them into existence with his mere words, so that would have been a tough sale. So what does he need to go to? And those are, these are really the two things that we must be convinced of if we're going to be people of generosity. That God is able to provide for our every need, and that he cares for us enough to do something about it. And Satan came to her with just that tactic. You're going to have to figure out this world on your own. You will have to go outside the boundaries of obedience to God to experience the life that you want, that you need, maybe even. God is endlessly able to provide for us, and he cares enough to do something about it. He knows our lives well enough to know what is a need, what is not, and how he could provide. And in the greatest tragedy of all time, 
and the fountainhead of every single moment of misery in your life or mine or any other human who's ever existed, our first parents broke God's only rule. They stole the only thing that didn't belong to them, the only thing that they could possibly steal, they stole, and it turned their hearts inside out. So that rather being people of blessing who flow outwards toward others, the thing we, I think, all know we ought to do, all want to do, all want to be known for doing, all want to receive, and they became anxious and crooked people. You see it right away. And they passed that problem on to us today. Now, last year, we became homeowners, and uh, my father-in-law introduced me to uh, a vital homeowner necessity. It's called the wet-dry vac. Maybe you've known it as the shop vac. Have you heard of this? None of you have heard of a shop vac. Oh, uh, three of you. Okay, great. <laughs> Len has. Len's with me. Okay, Len, here we go. Well, there's something very important that you need to know, and my, my father-in-law, Tom, sat me down. He said, Here's, you need to know about this machine, is that there are two holes. <laughs> okay, there's two holes. One of them does the sucking, and if you put the hose in the other hole, something very different will happen. Whatever has gone in is now going to be shot out, okay? So you need to be very sure about which one you are plugged into. Because if you're plugged into the wrong one, you're going to have a huge mess on your hands. And so that's, that's something like what our hearts are like. We have, through what we have inherited, through our own hearts, through the way that we've cultivated our own hearts, um, we have gone from pushing out blessing, shooting out good from a heart of love and a heart of assurance in who God is, caring for us and knowing what we need, to going on suction mode from a void within, a vacuum. <laughs> I don't have enough. And by the way, marketing agencies are spending billions of dollars a year to convince you of that very fact. Not all marketing is bad, but they're spending lots of money to implant in your hearts through the things that you watch every single day. <laughs> I don't have enough. I, 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 I need more. And this is our problem. We're stuck to some degree or another on suction mode, on empty mode, on a vacuum, on a void uh, that we'll never spiritually fill on our own. What we need is to change modes. We need someone to come within us and implant such, such a resource, such an ability to change us into people who flow outwards. But haven't you felt that? Haven't you felt that problem in yourself? Even if you're here and you're not sure about the Bible, not sure about faith, not sure about Christ, the, the feeling that you get to the end of that vacation and you go, I thought it would do something for me and it let me down. You get the next toy, the thing, the experience, whatever it happens to be, and it comes up empty. It gets, you suck it in and still I need more. The Bible is explaining the human experience. We've all felt it. Whether you're here and you're like, I follow Christ or not, we know it. But we have good news. But first we need to see the way that the Bible understands the way that God provides for us. The way that he provides for us. So, sometimes in, in accounting, or maybe let's say you're up late, it's about 3 a.m., you need to get to sleep, turn on C-SPAN, Okay? Watch a few hearings, I don't know, a vote, I don't know what's going on. But often you'll hear about, you know, certain funds, you have, you know, all the taxes come in, and certain funds are going to be earmarked. They're going to be set aside, and we've got a million dollars. Part of this is going to be building a bridge in Michigan. Yeah? And boop, over here, we got two million dollars, and this is going to help 
some kids read in Connecticut. I don't know. So, you know, but it's being set aside. It's designated for a certain use. It's not in the general fund. It's not, you know, as needs arise. It's earmarked for a certain purpose. Now, often, when we talk about uh, generosity in the context of a church, the main thing that we talk about is, is a tithe, giving a 10%. And it's almost like we're saying 10%. Okay, God gives you 100% and 90% is for whatever. And then 10% is earmarked for God's purposes in the world. But that's not quite right. The fact is, and this is what the Bible affirms over and over again, is that every single penny that has ever landed in my lap or yours is part of God's provision for us. It's been given by him, by his mercy, and he is the one who has given it to us. Think about it. Your, your time, your talents, your abilities, your education, your gifts, your intellect, all are from the Lord. And so everything that we have, whether it's time, whether it's, you know, finances, whatever it is, is from God. Think, I mean, just think about this. I don't know what your education level is and how much you make at your job or how much you don't make. Um, and I know some people here, you know, are thinking, wow, I, I hardly make anything, it feels like. But I don't know how much it is. But I can tell you that if you were born 200 years ago or uh, in many other countries in the world, even today, uh, it doesn't matter how much ability you have. It doesn't matter how much time you have and how much talent you have and how motivated you are. If you're born in a certain time and place, it just doesn't matter. You're not going to make a lot of money. You're gonna, not going to have a lot of opportunities. Now, every bit of it is from the Lord. He has given it to us. And so it's not as if there's sort of, I think that's part of, and really this is just, I think, an application of the first and second commandments, that all of life is dedicated to the Lord. We worship him alone. And therefore, my whole, I worship him with every moment. I worship him with every thought. I worship him with every dollar. Every single, 100% of it is earmarked for the Lord. And it's then our job to figure out what his purposes are for that money. Now, some of it is to feed you <laughs> and your children and, and the people around you. Some of it is to, you know, buy medicine and some of it is to keep a roof over your head. Praise God. And that should be our attitude, right? Is, I, I know it sounds quaint, but I've, I've tried to really get back into the habit of praying before my meals, even when I'm by myself, not just with my kids to show them we should do that. Because this meal is a gift from the Lord. I couldn't have produced it on my own. We celebrated communion. That's another reminder. There's a, gift, a free meal from the Lord. That's what the communion is. It's a reminder that what we have and what we need, every ounce of sustenance, not just spiritually, but in our whole lives, is a gift from the Lord. He is the one who has given it to us. It also means that there are dollars in my paycheck, in your paycheck, that are earmarked for the spiritual and physical blessing of your neighbors, your fellow Christians, for the work of gospel ministry in Iowa City and beyond, through the local church. This is how God has designed it. Now, I know there will be some of you here in this room thinking, I am living from paycheck to paycheck. I don't know how I could possibly do what you seem to be asking me. There's some of you here, I'm sure, who are buried in student loans, and you're looking at those and thinking, I'm having trouble finding a job. Why is it? It's an entry-level job, but I need six years of experience. How is that possible? Some of you here, are, you're in retirement and you are so anxious, you're wondering, 
will my life savings really be a life savings? Some of you are here, maybe you're buried in credit card debt and you're wondering, how, am I really supposed to give when I have, I have to pay off these, you know, this loan basically? And I, want, I guess I, just, I want you to hear, first of all, God sees you. God knows what is going on in your life. He sees your struggle. He's not unaware of it. And secondly, that God will honor your faithfulness. You need to discern faithfulness. We need to do it as a community. And that's, I think, one of the take-home points has to be, you know, if Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, then how can we possibly be a community where talking about money is off limits with one another? We just can't. Can you imagine going to the doctor for a checkup and they check your skin and they check your eyes and they check your ears, but they don't check your heart? You say, what are you doing, doc? This is malpractice, you know? And I think, too, we're doing, we're doing spiritual malpractice with one another if we aren't listening to the words of Jesus when he says that if you want to know what you're worshiping, you should look in your checkbook. So we've got to take some steps to just be honest with one another about how that's going. Um, but here, this is, in fact, we have to say, the ultimate positive vision behind the negative eighth commandment is this, that we would be a people marked by radical generosity. A church known for proactively seeking out and addressing needs in our community, both spiritually and physically. And I, I wonder, I dream of a day, and I think we've done, a, I think as a church we've done a good job with this, always room to grow, but I wonder if there could be a day when we would have, it would be well known in our city that people might save us. I may not agree with them. I'm not sure I believe the Bible. I'm not sure I trust Christ, but I know this. If they left town, boy, we would have to raise taxes. We would have a big problem on our hands if they left town. That there would be so much social and cultural good, both with our time and our talent and our treasures, given away to others, not held in our own hands, but given away to others with the resources that God has given, as many as those may be, there would be so much social and cultural good flowing from our lives, from hearts that are transformed by Christ, that even those who disagree with us would have to see our good deeds and glorify the God who we worship. Now, how can we do this? This has been all command up to this point. How can we actually do this? How can we be confident that God is the provider that he says he is? that he sees us, that he cares for us, that he knows our needs no matter where you are in this room today, whether what I'm saying freaks you out or you say, I think I'm doing well in this, whether your past makes you feel guilty before the Lord because you have perpetrated theft in the ways I really specifically went after or whether no matter where you're at, how can we do this? How can we be so grounded in who God says he is and who we are? We need power. We've learned the, the principle, the problem and now we realize we need power to do this real spiritual power it's not easy because what we need is to be like god <laughs> we need to be like god that, that's it we just be like god <laughs> we need to be like that shop vac plugged into the right outlet being not on intake but on outflow mode pouring out blessing on our neighbors on our brothers and sisters in christ and others how are we going to do that well in second corinthians 8 Verse 9, Paul is exhorting the church in Corinth toward generosity. There's a need that's come up in another church. There's a famine going on. And he says this to motivate them toward generosity. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. 
Parkview Church. We will only fulfill the eighth commandment, honor God and go on outflow of blessings mode when we see that in Christ we have all that we need. Jesus is a very strange character. He's a very strange king in particular. He claims to be a king. He's called a king. What do you imagine a king to be like? Everywhere I've ever looked, every movie and every, I, I think this is what we expect. A king is rich, right? A king walks in, he's got wonderful robes and jewels and a crown and all kinds of incredible things. Um, but what do we have in Jesus? One of the most notable and I've thought, always thought really curious moments in Jesus' life is, is toward the end of his life, he's asked a question in the temple. He's asked, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And do you remember what his response was? First thing he said, you're probably remembering what he said later. You know what the first thing he said was? Does anyone have a coin? Why, why put that in there? Why does Mark care to leave that detail? Does anyone have a coin? Why did Jesus have to ask for a coin? Jesus didn't have a coin. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus didn't, he's the king without a quarter, let alone without a robe, let alone without a crown, although later in his life he would have a robe and a crown, but not the kind that we would expect on the cross. Jesus didn't start out homeless, naked, alone, which is how he died. Jesus started out just how we would imagine a great and powerful king. Seated in the heavenlies, in the beginning with the Father and the Spirit, creating all things. I don't know if you knew this, but he invented gold. Have you heard of it? It's valuable. <laughs> he decided uh, diamonds could be a cool thing. Uh, he put them all over the earth. He thought that'd be cool. He decided silver could have 47 protons, print, spirit, and it, it happened. Cool. He's endlessly rich, is what I'm saying. Uh, he has access to every single thing on earth, and it all belongs to him. And yet he looked at people like us, like you and me, who instead of bleeding blessing as God has created us to be, are clawing at one another because we, have, we never think we have enough. We never believe that God will do for us what he says, provide for us and discern our needs. And he said, you know what? I see that, and yet I'll go bankrupt for her. I will go broke for him. And so he came down. And so Jesus Christ, the richest man who has ever existed, wrote himself into the story of history, into the story of our sin, and was born in poverty. Born into a manger. His parents go to the temple and they, and they give a temple sacrifice of doves because they don't have the money to pay the actual sacrifice. He's, he raises, he comes up in a menial profession. He's a carpenter and he becomes utterly poor, homeless. And by the, life, by the end of his life, homeless, penniless, friendless, except for the women who were there to take care of him. All of his closest followers, the disciples leave him, and poor. Why? Since our theft is not primarily a sin against one another, but against a holy God, Jesus went all the way to free us from the penalty that our sin deserved. He died as if a thief on the cross. So that when we come to Christ and confess the ways that we have broken the Eighth Commandment, he can point to the cross and say, it's already been paid. But he's done more than that. He has not only broken us from the penalty that our sins require, but also given us freedom through the power of his cross. See, on the cross, Jesus turned his pockets inside out. He became spiritually impoverished so that he could turn your heart upside down. And the good news is, 
he didn't stay in his grave. He, God raised him from the dead, and that is good news for us because it means that being connected to Jesus by his Holy Spirit today means that God is taking personal responsibility for your well-being. The promise from God is if we walk in the path of obedience to Christ, even stumblingly, even failingly, but if we walk in the path of wretchedness with Christ, we can be confident that we'll never be truly in need. Jesus has taken our sin and traded it for his righteousness, and that means that his father becomes our father, and his riches become ours. Think about this. Imagine if you were to go to Bill Gates' son. Does he have a son? I don't know. It's a sermon illustration. You go to his son, and you say, hey, Bob Gates, Bob, we need someone to go do this dirty deed lie to someone. I don't know what it is. We need to do some dirty dealings, but here's the deal. We'll pay you $100. Are you interested? What would Bob Gates say? No, I'm not interested. Do you know who my dad is? That is us. If we're connected by faith to God the Father through Jesus and his perfect life, then we are connected to the Father just in the same way that Jesus is connected to the Father. Was Jesus anxious and worried about having his needs met by his heavenly father who invented gold and produced silver and seems has all the world's riches at hand? No. And so when we're tempted to steal in all the ways that I described, you know what we can say? Do you know who my father is? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and on the other hand, I, th- I think of my son this week. Little Silas, nine months old. Here he is. He's on my sock. <laughs> because I love him so much. Here's my other one. Okay, I love him. <laughs> uh, Silas, you know what he said to me? Nine months old yesterday. He doesn't say much because he's nine months old. He said, da-da, da-da, da-da. Okay, I was like, da-da-da-da-da, you know. But what did that do to me? His dad absolutely melted me. You know what I said to him? What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? I'll give it to you. What do you, what do you need? I, I want to take care of you. And if we are as connected to Jesus and to the, our Father, our endlessly wealthy Father in heaven, as the Bible says that we are, then that is just a shadow of God's providential care for us. When we come to him, Dada, Father, what will he not do for us? How will he not take care of us? If we belong to Jesus, we can be utterly confident that we'll be taken care of. We can bleed blessing. We can love our neighbors in a costly way, in an incredible way, in an unfathomable way. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Moses, the story of Moses in the burning bush. And I don't know if you know, but you know, in the ancient Near East, it wasn't really all that uncommon to see bushes burning. And, and I mean, we have wildfires today. It's started by lightning and other, you know, there's natural sources of, of ignition. Uh, but you notice in, the, in that passage, it says, he saw a bush burning That wasn't the interesting part. Burning, but not consumed. He'd seen bushes burning before. That wasn't the unique part. It was burning, but not consumed. What's going on there? He said, I have to go look. This is a very strange phenomenon. And he goes over and he looks. Now, if we were to become, and I think we're on the way, but if we were to really commit ourselves to this principle, we would be like that burning bush. Somehow burning, we're we're sort of, we're dying, we're, we're losing, we're giving away, uh, and yet not consumed. Moses said, where is the fuel for that fire? 
And that's what we hope people would say of us. Where is the fuel for that kind of obedience? Where is the fuel for that kind of generosity? Where do they find the spiritual power, the spiritual energy? And you know what we'll have to say? Do you know who my father is? (laughs) You know who my father is? Let me tell you. Now, what would it look like for us to take this home today? Of course, I think I mentioned one thing, which is to make it a regular habit to, to just embrace gratitude to God. To, of course, the two key promises that I said are that God has the resources to take care of us and that he cares enough to do so. And one way to remind ourselves of that is just by making a real habit of praying in thankfulness to God when he provides for you, no matter what it is, things big or small. And it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. Thank you, Lord, for providing this for me. Make that a habit in your life. And you can build in gratitude and cultivate a heart of gratitude to the Lord. Um, so that when you see needs arise, you'll realize this is all of grace anyway. He's, he's given me a meal, and now he's given me the opportunity to bless this person and so forth. Another is, of course, to give to the mission of making disciples. God's great heart for the world is to, to gather people around his son to worship and be transformed into his image. And the main way that we do that as Christians is through supporting the local church. So we've often heard of, you know, 10% as a good, and I mentioned, you know, not as if 10% earmarked for the Lord, but rather discerning what the Lord is calling us to. If 10% seems like, here's the tough thing. For some of us, 10% isn't that much pressure on you. It's, it's not an incredible amount. I know that sounds crazy. For some of you, 10% would crush you. So we need, to, we need to be discerning, and I think we need to do it in a community. Like I said before, I think we need to be a place. You know how you can tell what's, what's a problem for us in our community? The things that we're not allowed to talk about. So one of the ways that we can break ourselves from idolatry to money is by talking about it. It's a really simple way. Talk about it. How's that going for you? You don't have to say, hey, can I see your bank ledger for the last year? <laughs> you can say, how's it going for you with money? Does that, does that stress you out? That might be a good question to start. Does money stress you out? Um, is it simple for you? Do you feel like you're doing a good job there? What's, what's a way you've found to honor the Lord there? Um, and finally, use the other resources that God's given you besides just money. I've talked a lot about that because I think that's what the focus is on here. Uh, but there are many other resources that God's given us. Time. We often talk about time, talent, and treasures. It's August 1st today. This is a time when we have a lot of new people coming through our church, through our community. Um, some of them are just brand new. They don't know about, you know, not familiar with faith, and you're inviting your new neighbors and so forth. People are moving in. Um, so we need ushers and greeters and child care workers. Um, here's how to be an usher. There's a seat. You're all trained now. Okay, I'm sorry, but you're qualified. And so great, so you can sign up, sign up and back. Um, but seriously, you can let one of us know, one of the leaders here, Len, myself, a community group leader? Raise your hand if you're a community group leader. Cool. Let one of us know. We'd love to get you connected. We need volunteers. That's one of the ways that God moves his mission forward is through our generosity with our time as well. So all this, let's conclude by saying that when we see the riches that we have in Christ by being connected to God the Father, the endlessly rich creator of the universe, knowing that we are his, not just his adopted sort of second-hand child, but he looks at us as, he, as if we were as perfect as Christ. That the one who spoke gold into existence, the one who, we're freed not only to obey, but to fulfill his call to be people of blessing. Jesus became poor so that we might never doubt that God will take care of us, that 
when we obey, he will be with us. So let's reject stealing and embrace blessing by obeying Jesus the King. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm certain there's so much you want to do in us and through us through this word. Um, I pray that you would show us now. Let this word not slip out of our lives here in the next 10 minutes. I pray that you would bring it to mind often, that you would give us context to discuss it with others, whether it's right after the service or in, in friendships or in community group setting or, or somewhere else uh, over coffee with a friend, to simply ask one another how we're doing in this area. Um, we want to not just hear words of uh, truth, but become people who walk by them. So help us to do that. I pray that in doing so, you would transform us more and more into the image of Christ, the one perfect person. I pray that you would remind us that you love when we come to you with the open hands, the impoverished hands of faith, asking you to fill us, um, and that you would do so. Fill us with your spirit to believe the gospel afresh for the first time or for the 50th time or for the 500th time, that you really do love us and that you really do want to love us into the way that you've created us to live within your, your word. Help us to do all this and more. We pray that we would become that kind of community, that, that uh, incredible community, that unfathomable community um, that bleeds blessing as Christ did for us. Do all this and more, we pray, for his glory. We pray in the night, mighty name of Jesus.